Thank you so much, James. And Willamem, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for leading us in worship. We're continuing our journey through Jonah. So grab a Bible, turn to Jonah chapter 3. We're looking at how God has called us to love Newcastle and how we're going to apply some of these lessons from Jonah's call to Nineveh to our particular situation here in the northeast. So Jonah chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed. At last, praise God. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with, with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, team. It's been quite a journey so far with Jonah, hasn't it? We had a fantastic message from Lee two weeks, ago, two weeks ago about Jonah's call to Nineveh, and we were wrestling and thinking about calling. Last week with Brogan, we thought about, we thought about spiritual disciplines and how God forms us for what he's prepared us to do. And today we're thinking about Jonah proclaiming God's word to the city of Nineveh. Now, let's just recap quickly. Jonah has run from God. He's been disciplined by God. He's seen the power of God to save pagan sailors. He's been saved by God in the form of a whale. He's repented. He's turned back to God. And now he's being sent to the city of Nineveh to share the good news. Now we're beginning, beginning to see, aren't we? And we saw this with Lee's sermon two weeks ago, that the story of Jonah is our story. The story of Jonah, Lee shared, is his story. It's my story. It's James's story. It is our story. We have turned away from God and yet he has rescued us dramatically, taken hold of us and saved us and is forming us for a purpose. And that purpose, a huge part of it, is to proclaim the word of God. So what I want us to be doing is to be asking and to be praying and to be asking the Holy Spirit, what are you teaching me through Jonah 3? How, can, how are you, Lord, sending me to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the place that you have called me? Now, as we go, as James said, if you've got any questions as we go, go through, please do put them on the, on the live chat. I can see them in front of me. I'll try and engage with them in real time, but we'll definitely have some time at the end where we'll throw around the questions that you ask. So what do we learn from Jonah and our call to share the good news of Jesus. Well, look with me, will you, at verses one to three. The first thing that we're looking at today is the call to share the gospel. 
So look at verse one. Now Jonah has just been spat out of the belly of the whale. And God speaks to Jonah for a second time, the author of Jonah tells us. Now what we're learning through this incredible book is that God is the God of the second chance. You can run as far as you want from God, or you can try, but if God has got hold of you, he will have his way with you in the end. I love how the Anglican theologian J.I. Packer put it when he wrote this. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Now Lee picked up on some of that two weeks ago. And God did move heaven and earth to save us, didn't he? Just as he did with Jonah. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. For Jonah, he sent a whale. For us, and actually for Jonah as well, Jesus came to die in our place on the cross and rise to new life, defeat death forever. God moved heaven and earth to save me and to save you. Now this is the heart of the message that we are to proclaim. Stop trying to save yourself is the message of the book of Jonah. It is only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who can save you. Now verse two, God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message that I tell you. Now, what I really want us to notice from verse two is this. Jonah was not to proclaim his own message. Jonah was not to change the words of what God told him to say. The call on Jonah was not to make the message from God more relevant, as if you could make the Bible or God's word any more relevant than it actually is. I mean, it is the word of the living God. He was not to make the message any more palatable or any more like nice or fluffy, if you like. He was, not he was not called to change the message so it just reflected the culture of Nineveh. Paul would say a similar thing to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, do not distort the gospel. Jonah's call was to proclaim the message that he was given by God. And we'll see what, exactly what that message was as we go through these verses together. So verse three, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Now, as we go through this chapter, we're going to be reminded of this simple truth, that all of us, no matter who we are, it's not just, this is for all of us. All of us are called to proclaim the word of God. But we know, don't we, that that is not always an easy task. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, again, Paul would write to Timothy, proclaim the word of God in season and out of season. Now, okay, we may not be preaching to people like the Ninevites. Um, Lee mentioned, didn't he, when Lee was kicking off this series to us, um, that the people of Nineveh were pretty awful people. They were terrorists. They chopped off people's heads. They were well known for trafficking people all over the known world. Um, we're not called to proclaim in our culture to people like that. I mean, we've got it a little bit easier than that. But remember, some of our brothers and sisters around the world do face all kinds of things just for uttering and mentioning the name Jesus. But despite that, we know, don't we, that it's not always easy to proclaim the word of God in our culture. Sometimes our culture seem, seems just so at odds with the gospel. You know, the world thinks so differently to the narrative of the Bible on matters of marriage, money, calling, vocation, language, attitude towards the unborn, all kinds of things. It's a daunting thing to be asked to proclaim the gospel. But that is our call. Now, we can do so with conviction. 
because the gospel is the most compelling, incredible message and way to view the world that has ever been thought of or imagined. Now, I know that it can feel incredibly difficult to, pro- to proclaim the gospel on a university campus, again, where you know, Christians are so different to, to perhaps people that aren't Christians. It can feel so difficult to proclaim the gospel in school classrooms, in the workplace, or on our streets. But look, as Lee said again two weeks ago, it was difficult for Jonah. Nineveh was not only scary, it was big. Three days it took Jonah just to walk across the width of the city. Now, as we're asking this, we might be reading the text and thinking, okay, well, how can disobedient, little, running, scared Jonah, how was he going to be used by God to save such a huge and wicked city? You might be watching this today thinking, well, how on earth is God going to use me to save my housemates or my street or my neighbours or my classmates or whatever it might be? Well, look, here's the thing. We learn about Jonah and we also learn about us. It isn't about us. If it was down to us, we would never be able to come up with enough clever arguments, enough demonstrations of power to save an entire city. I mean, if it was down to us, we wouldn't be able to do it anyway. We can't possibly save our next door neighbours or our street or our course mates. But it isn't down to us. It is down to God. And his word is power enough. That's what we see in Jonah. But Paul would also write about this to the church in Rome. In Romans 1, Paul wrote this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The gospel is power. Now, my closest friend from university days is a guy called Rick. He was the first person that I ever met in halls of residence when when I moved to Sheffield for first year. And we lived together all the way through university and for quite a few years after it. And for the first three years that I knew Rick, I tried everything that I thought was really cool to share the gospel with Rick. I tried intellectual arguments. I prayed for him lots. I tried to convince him of the truth of the Bible, all kinds of things. And after two and a half years, he was still showing no signs at all of believing in the gospel. One day, I went into the city centre of Sheffield and went to the Christian bookshop and bought him a little book called the Espresso Bible. And the Espresso Bible was like a reduced version of the Bible, like told the story of the Bible, and you could read it in 90 minutes. I gave it to Rick, and he read the full thing in about 35 minutes. The next day, I went back into town and bought him a full, proper, big, black leather Bible and took it home and said, start in Matthew. Within three days, he'd worked his way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. He'd got through, I think he'd almost got to Revelation. In three days, he just devoured the whole thing. Not long after that, God saved him and Rick was baptized. The gospel, the word of God is the power that saves us. Now, thank God that it does not rely on us putting on a good show or being clever. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to all of us who believe. Okay, so we're called to proclaim this gospel. It's not about us. It's about the power of God. But what is the message of the gospel? 
Well, I said briefly earlier, we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 9, by the way, in this next bit. Um, the, the gospel is not always easy to communicate. Sometimes we're tempted to water it down to make it seem more palatable. And um, Jonah didn't do that. And I want to put it to us today that neither should we. Now look at the message that Jonah had to preach to the city of Nineveh in verse 4. In 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now remember, this was the capital city of the most powerful nation on earth. The Assyrians had control of land borders, of sea borders. They trafficked people at will. They were wicked to the core. This message that Jonah brought to them could have almost been laughable to them. They could have thought to themselves, really, this little guy Jonah who's just turned up, he, he really thinks that God is going to overthrow this city in 40 days? How's this little irrelevant man Jonah and his irrelevant God going to do this? Well, what was it that Jonah shared that caused them to repent? Well, firstly, Jonah brought a message of repentance, didn't he? And this message of repentance seemed to cut the whole city to the core. In verse 5, we, we read that the people of Nineveh believed God. They even called for a fast, a city-wide fast. Now, the Hebrew word for repent is shub and means to turn. Now, as Lee reminded us two weeks ago, the word repent in the Greek is metanoia and also means to turn, to turn 180 degrees in the direction that we're heading back in the opposite direction. If you like, head, if we're heading away from God, to repent is to turn 180 degrees and to turn back to God. The message that Jonah brought was repent, turn away from your sin and turn back to God. Now we're called to proclaim the same message. Turn away from pursuing things in your life that will not bring you peace, that will not bring you joy, that will not satisfy you and turn to Jesus because he's the only one that can bring you peace and joy and happiness. We're to share a message of repentance. Secondly, we're called to share a message of justice. Now, Jonah must have brought a message of justice to the city of Nineveh. We know this because of a number of details in the text. Firstly, we're told that a fast was proclaimed. Verse 5, from the greatest to the least. Now this is really striking because all of the population of Nineveh, all of them from the greatest to the least, were caught up in this message that Jonah brought. Now remember, this is a hierarchical society. Your standing with various gods or your religion was very much based on your position in society. So if you were wealthy and rich, you were at the top of society, you had a better chance of getting on in religion than if you were at the bottom. And yet here, everybody from the greatest to the least, is caught up in responding to Jonah's message. Now also look at verses 6 to 9. The king of Nineveh, the most powerful person in the city, humbles himself, repents of his wicked ways and calls the people of the city, all of them, to do the same. The people must be covered with sackcloth, the king said. Call urgently upon God. Give up your wicked ways and your violence. Now remember, this is a nation with appalling human rights records. They oppress the poor, they oppress smaller nations, and they traffic people. But the people were also violent towards each other. And the king said, stop being like that, stop doing that. 
So it seems that Jonah's message was a message of repentance and of justice. Now, I want to put it to us today that you cannot separate the two. You cannot separate repentance and justice. You can't preach true true justice without repentance because it is the condition of the human heart that is broken and that leads to broken societies and unjust communities and all of that kind of thing. Look at verse 9. You see these two things together. The call is to repent from the violence that each of us, the king says, has in our hands. We all have it in us. But also you can't talk about repentance and not preach justice because true repentance will always lead to social justice and social transformation. Now it's been wonderful to see some of the creative ways that the church in the UK has responded to the pandemic since March. There are so many social needs at the minute, aren't there? It seems that the gap between rich and poor is getting bigger and bigger. More people are going hungry. People are losing their jobs. Lockdowns, we know, hit the poorest the hardest. It's been incredible to see thousands of churches put together food boxes to join in the Love Thy Neighbour campaign. It was wonderful. It moved me so much to see our beautiful church family here over Christmas partnering with Love Thy Neighbour, with mine, with Nest, the refugee charity that we work closely with through Nisha and one of our church family in providing some care packages and hampers to some of the most vulnerable people in our city. The two must go together. Now, if you're, true, if you're truly repentant, you might begin to think differently, differently about the way that you spend money, about what you eat, about the clothes that you buy. Um, I've been um, convicted by this just recently through my good friend Luke Porter, our communications manager here at St. Thomas's, who will talk to you for hours about the ethics and social justice of buying good coffee. Now, Luke doesn't do that just because he likes good coffee, although he does follow him at porter.coffee. He does it because he passionately believes that Jesus calls him to justice. Now, the reason that these two, justice and repentance, have to go together, and this is not often something that we like to talk about, but the reason that the two go together is because of the, what the New Testament talks about as being the wrath of God or the anger of God. Now, before you get too scared about us talking about this, just remember this. It is good that God gets angry at injustice and sin. It's a good thing. We want God, don't we, to be angry at systemic racism. I mean, if we get angry about systemic racism, we want God to get angry about systemic racism. We want a God who takes seriously mass genocides. We want God to take seriously the the horrific things that are, are, are poured out on people by horrific dictators. We want God to be angry at the way that society just seems to view the rights of the unborn. God gets angry at sin. And if we're honest with ourselves, we want him to. But if we want God to be angry about these things, then we must accept that all of our hearts have turned away from God and that all of us, to some extent, are responsible for the sin that goes on in society. None of us are perfect. We all oppress others through the way that we think about people, the way that we speak to people. And so if we're okay with God being angry at sin, With other people, we've got to accept that God might not be too happy about our own sin as well. The message from God via Jonah to Nineveh was repent or you will be overthrown. Now here's the thing. That message is also true for us. 
But here's the beautiful thing. God's anger at sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross for those whom Jesus was saving. Now, what that means is this, that Jesus took my place. He took what I deserved so that I could go free. Jesus was overthrown, if you like, on the cross in my place so that I didn't have to be. John Stott put it like this. At the cross in holy love, God through Christ paid the full penalty of our disobedience himself. Now the amazing news about that is simply this. That if that is true, and that's what the New Testament and the, the whole of the Bible points to, it means that the salvation that Jesus offers is a free gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And this is the most beautiful thing about the gospel. Again, John Stott in his wonderful book, The Cross of Christ, wrote this. Jesus purchased salvation for us at the high price of his own lifeblood. So what is there left for us to pay? Nothing. Since he claimed that all was now finished, there is nothing for us to contribute. There's nothing that you could do that would make God love you any more or any less. There's nothing that you could do to earn your salvation. Nothing that you could contribute to it. In fact, as Paul, my good friend Paul, who will pop up back on the screen during the coffee, and I often say to each other, we contributed nothing to our own salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And yet God has rescued us. Now, in this light, God's anger is good news, isn't it? It proves that he loves his creation and that he loves us. He wants to put injustices right. He wants to redeem you and me. Now, the king in verse 9, we'll talk about verse 10 more in detail, I'm sure, during the Q&A. But verse 9, the king says, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now, just, I just want to make a link between that verse and one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16, where we also see the word perish. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is what we're to proclaim. So what do we learn from our call to love Newcastle through this book of Jonah and specifically through this chapter? Well, we learn this, that all of us, no matter what we're doing, no matter who we are, all of us who are baptized and are following Jesus are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And yes, we know it's hard. We know that the culture can appear hostile. We know that the biblical worldview can, be, can seem so different to the worldview of those around us and yet at the very same time culture has never been more open look at what has happened in lockdown look at what's happened through alpha we've heard i was on a call last week with um, nikki gumbel and some others and they were telling some amazing stories of god saving people through alpha people who would never necessarily have gone to church had it not been for what god has done in lockdown all of us are called to proclaim the good news of jesus and secondly we remember that the call to proclaim the good news of Jesus, we remember that the good news is indeed beautiful. 
It's perfect. It describes a God who is perfect love, perfect justice. He cares about mess. He cares about the sin in the world and he wants to put it right. And that means making me and you right. So we're going to go into a time of response now. And as we begin to lead us through that, let me just ask this question. If God can work in the hearts of the people of Nineveh, can he work in the hearts of the people of Newcastle, of the Northeast? You bet he can. If God can save Nineveh, a corrupt, corrupt people who are brutal to the core, can God save your housemates or your family? Can God save your neighbors? Yes, you bet he can. If he's done it before, he can do it again. So let's just pray that God, by his spirit now, would equip us because we've all been called and empower us to proclaim the good news of Jesus, because it is beautiful, good news. Come, Holy Spirit.